Well, we're in Matthew chapter 11. If you're there, say amen. 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 Well, I'm looking forward to digging into what the Lord has for us here this morning as we continue on verse by verse in our study of the gospel of Matthew. And uh, we've seen that Matthew chapters 1 through 10 uh, made clear a, a resounding truth, and that is that Jesus is the Messiah. And now as we've turned to Matthew chapter number 11, it's been shown how various different groups of people responded to this truth. Last week we saw the first group of responders, and that was the doubters, John the Baptist being the chief among that group of people. But in our text today, we're going to see three other responses that people have to Jesus. And in summary, the three of them are this. Some respond to Jesus with disdain. Some respond to Jesus with disregard. And others respond to Jesus with dependence. But the question is, what's your response going to be? And that's the question that we're confronted with in this text today. Because you see, every person in this world must make a choice about what they will do with the truth of Jesus Christ. And there are all types of voices speaking today with conflicting opinions about the person and the work of Jesus. To some people, Jesus was nothing more than a false prophet. And to others, they claim that he was a great philosopher but certainly not divinity. Others say he was a mythical figure of the past. There are those who even question whether or not Christ was even a real person in years gone by. And others, they look to Jesus as just an object of religion, something or someone that religious people look to. And I say to you, there are all kinds of opinions about Jesus, but it doesn't really matter what they are. All that matters today is what's your opinion? And you ought to allow your opinion to be shaped by the Scriptures. What the Bible has to say. Jesus asked His disciples, Who do you say that I am? And that's the same question that we're confronted with in the text of Scripture that we'll study today. And so in the end, you will have to choose what you will do with Jesus. There's an old poem written in the 1800s that says, To every man there openeth a way a ways and a way. And some men climb the highway and some men grope below and in between on the misty flats the rest drift to and fro. And to every man there openeth a highway and a low. And every man decideth which way his soul shall go. You will make a choice. And to not make a choice is still a choice. You will make a choice as to what you will do with the truth of Jesus Christ. And so as you consider the truth of Jesus today, what is your choice going to be? As we study this text, we're going to discover three choices you can make about Jesus. As we consider these things, why don't we pray and ask for the Lord to speak to our hearts. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you this morning. We're grateful for the opportunity to be able to open the scriptures together. I pray that you would speak to us as only you can. And I pray that you would anoint this time in the word. You've already prepared us through the testimonies that have been shared and the truth that has been sung about and the fellowship that we have enjoyed together. And now you brought us to this moment. Well, I believe your Holy Spirit has already been working, and I believe you have something you want to do in each heart 
if we would be willing to hear you. And so I pray you'd have free reign to work in our hearts today. And I pray that you'd help me, Lord, to be able to declare your truth as you see fit. And I need your power, Lord, to do so. And so I pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Three choices you can make about Jesus. The first option that I want you to see, the first choice you can make is to disdain Jesus. You can choose, in other words, to be a critic of Jesus and everything that Jesus represents. As the text of Scripture begins in Matthew chapter number 11, we'll begin taking up our text here in verse uh, Matthew 11, verse number 16. The Bible says this, Jesus speaking. He said, But whereunto shall I liken this generation? Is like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you, and you have not danced. And we have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. Jesus begins to speak about a group of people who chose to criticize his ministry here. These are the people who treat Jesus and Christianity in general with disdain. They look down on it. They, they try to nitpick it and find every fault and every flaw that they think that they can come up with. And I want you to understand this right from the get-go. This is a response of someone who is most certainly not a true believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus begins to talk to the multitude of people that were gathered around as we're picking up from the same story we left off with last week. He had been talking to them about the ministry of John the Baptist. And then he turns and he begins to talk about some very, three very different and real groups of people that were in that multitude. And this was the first type of person that was sitting in that multitude. I dare say there may be some of you in this room who can identify with this group as well. And he talks to this group and he talks about how he could compare this generation of people to something. He's literally saying there, how can I illustrate the way this generation is responding to me? And so he, then he takes up a story that would have been very familiar to the people that day and time. We've already read about it. He said, you're really acting like children who play in the marketplace. And uh, this was something that the people of that day and time would have identified with very much. Jesus compared these people to immature children who sat and bickered with each other as they were trying to play games. Now, there was a day and time, even in America, where it's pretty commonplace for kids to run around in neighborhoods and do this very same kind of thing. And I remember, up, uh, I remember growing up in a, in a neighborhood, and uh, we and the neighbor kids always got together. And no doubt, I, I have no idea, because uh, we don't live in a neighborhood now, but I have no doubt uh, that my parents often looked out the window or uh, listened out the door and heard us carrying on. And I know that you can identify with the picture of what's going on here. The markets were the, were, were the business and social gathering place for people in the time that Jesus walked this earth. And when mama or daddy went down to the market, they'd bring the kids on with them. And the kids would go out and play together while mom and dad conducted their business or carried on their conversations. And two of the most popular games they played are still two of the most popular games kids play today. Wedding. Well, I don't know about this one. But funeral. All right? 
And uh, these, were, these, were, these were the main social gatherings that would take place in that day and time. And when kids would get together, they would do the exact same thing. They'd put on mock weddings and act like they were marrying each other off. Or they'd put on a, a mock funeral and uh, wail and lament like they'd see the adults doing. And these were things that were uh, happening in that day and time. But the interesting thing that Jesus is getting at here is that there was always those kids who when everybody else wanted to play wedding. Well, they wanted to play funeral. And when everybody else wanted to play funeral, they wanted to play wedding. They could not be pleased. No matter what you did, no matter what you said, they always had to be the instigator. How many of you know some kids like that? All right? Yeah. How many of you were that kid? Oh, no, just let's, let's, let's go on from that. Well, he's talking about this illustration, and the point is it was a culturally understood and appropriate illustration to demonstrate exactly what was happening, how that generation of people were responding to the ministry of Jesus. And so Jesus goes on and notes that th that, that generation was just like those kids in that marketplace. Look at verse 18. He said, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a devil. Verse 19, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber and a friend of publicans and sinners. Now get this. On the one hand, Jesus said you have John the Baptist, who is a very separated man. Most believe that John had taken a Nazarite vow, which means that he wouldn't eat certain food. He would drink absolutely no wine at all and uh, uh, would not cut his hair and some other things that Nazarites had vowed to do. John was a very separated man. He was a very uh, distinct man when it came to his behavior. And uh, the interesting thing is you could really compare John to the little kids playing funeral. He was a very somber person. He's a very serious person. And, and he called for a very somber response from, pe from people. But the people refused to play along with John and his somber message to turn to the Messiah. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't like John's message. And so Jesus, on the other hand, says, John came uh, very, in a very sober, separated manner, but Jesus came in a very social manner. Jesus was almost on the other end of the spectrum. He lived a very normal life as would be considered to the Jewish people of that day and time. And it was normal to see him at social functions. He ate the normal things and drank the normal drink that people would drink during that time period. But after the people had heard Jesus declare the truth about who he is, they also rejected him. And they began to claim, well, he's a glutton and, and he's a drunkard and, well, he's a friend of all the outcasts and all the bad people. They begin to cast down Jesus' ministry as well. And Jesus' ministry could really be compared to the, little, the game the kids would play about the wedding. Jesus came with the good news of the gospel and he called people to receive him as their Messiah. But whether it was, the truth was coming from someone like Jesus or whether the truth was coming from someone like John, the people of that generation could not be pleased. No matter how the truth was presented to them. So the point is, this was a group of people who would not be satisfied. No matter how the truth of Jesus was presented to them, they would not play along. They always found a reason to disagree with the truth of Christ or to criticize it. And I say there are still people in this world today, and perhaps in this room, who will not believe the truth of Jesus no matter how it is presented to them.
You get someone up here to preach a hard message about needing to trust Christ as Savior, they won't respond. You can get someone to come up, get up here and preach a lighthearted message, even funny, and present the truth of Christ. And they will not respond because no matter how the truth is given to them, they have determined in their heart they will not listen to it. Now, it's interesting, William Barclay, he wrote, the plain fact is that when people do not want to listen to the truth, they will easily find an excuse for not listening. If people are determined to make no response, they will remain stubbornly and sullenly unresponsive no matter what invitation is made to them. Somber words. Kind of reminds me of the words the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when he said, For the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and will turn away their ears from the truth and will be turned unto fables. We are living in a time when people would, would much rather be entertained than they would be told the truth. They would much rather hear someone tell them what they want them to say than to tell them what they need to hear. Didn't matter how the truth was presented, there were people who just simply would not respond to it. And it has grieved my heart throughout the years of ministering to hear the critical responses of these types of individuals. When I try to, try to share the gospel with them, they, they always find a reason to reject it. Sometimes I've heard people say, well, the Bible, you know, is just a bunch of made-up stories for men. I don't, I don't trust that. Sometimes people have said to me, well, I believe that when you die, you just cease to exist. I've had people say, well, I don't believe that God would ever send someone to hell. And I can go on and on and on with examples of things I've heard throughout the years. Can I just tell you frankly, and I want you to understand, I say this with love, it doesn't matter what you think. In fact, it doesn't matter what I think. All that matters is what God says. Because that's the truth. And see, it didn't matter how the truth was presented, there were some people that were just determined not to listen to it. And I want you to listen to me on this and do not miss this. The devil will always give you plenty of reasons not to accept Jesus. Oh, he's got a bunch of them. And whichever one he can get you to believe, he will feed it to you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 3 and 4 that the God of this world, the little g God, Satan, has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And so there are always those who will want to reject the truth of Christ. But in the midst of such a generation, this is what Jesus said at the end of verse 19. If you're still with me, say amen. Look at the end of verse 19. The Bible says, But wisdom is justified of her children. Read that out loud with me if you would. But wisdom is justified of her children. Jesus essentially said, In the end, it will be made clear who was right. There was a man in history, Voltaire was his name. He was an acclaimed atheist. In fact, he was an outspoken atheist his entire life. But on his deathbed, the story is told of what happened for this man. I want to make sure that I tell you this right. But on his deathbed, the story is told that he, he made this statement. He said, I am abandoned by God and man. 
And I will give you half of what I am worth if you will give me just six months more of life. He was speaking to his doctor. And when his doctor informed him that was impossible, there was no way to make that happen. He, his final words before he passed away were this. He said, then I shall die and go to hell. And after this horrifying experience, his nurse who had been attending to him through that experience, she made the statement later, she said, for all the money in Europe, I wouldn't want to see another unbeliever die. All night long, he cried for forgiveness. You say, why do you share that story? Because there are some people who no matter how the truth is presented to them, they are determined to reject Jesus Christ. No matter what. And I say there is a big difference between the end of believers and the end of uh, unbeliever. The Bible says in Psalm 37 and verse 37, Mark the perfect man and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. Listen, when it comes to the truth of Jesus Christ, there are three choices you can make. And the first one is you can choose to disdain Jesus. To reject Jesus, to find fault, to criticize, to say, oh, that's a bunch of hocus pocus. I don't believe that Bible stuff. I don't believe that Jesus stuff. Yes, that's a choice that you can make, but you will do it to your own detriment. Choice number one, disdain Jesus. Choice number two, you can choose to disregard Jesus. To disregard Jesus. This second group Jesus begins to speak about, he addresses those who are indifferent to him. They are indifferent to him. There's a word we often use in our English language for indifference, and it's called apathy. You know what apathy is? Apathy is a spirit that says, I don't care. I don't care. When it comes to the things of God, there are many people that is exactly how they live their life. I don't care. By the way, this is another response of someone I believe that truly is not saved. Jesus pulls no punches as he begins to talk to this particular group of people. I want you to look at what he says starting in verse number 20. He said, the Bible says, Then began he to abrade or rebuke the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell or judgment. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Very serious words. Jesus is addressing a group of individuals who treated his ministry like it didn't matter. Now listen, I don't have time to expound all of this like I'd like to, but Jesus mentions three Gen Jewish cities uh, in the area of Galilee, Galilean cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. These three cities have a whole bunch of history we don't have time to get into, but suffice it to say that they are representative of the places where Jesus conducted most 
of his earthly ministry. Of the miracles that we've studied over the past several weeks in Matthew chapter 9 and chapter 10, five of the ten miracles that are mentioned were done in Capernaum. In one of these cities. Capernaum was the place where Jesus set up his hometown where he did most of his ministry uh, throughout the three and a half years that he walked on this earth. And so the point is, all of these cities had experienced firsthand the miracles and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And yet the people in these towns didn't seem to notice or care. The very Son of God was walking among them Working among them. And they couldn't care less. You don't see these cities repenting. You don't see these cities turning en masse to the Lord. Their spirit was, oh, Jesus is here. No big deal. Can you imagine? If Jesus was walking this earth today, how do you think people would respond? I'll tell you how I think they'd respond. En masse. I think they'd respond the same way that these people did. Because we have a tendency in our hearts to belittle things that are truly spiritually significant. And Jesus begins to call out the indifference of these individuals. Verse number 20, it says that Jesus began to abrade or, or to rebuke or to reprimand the people of these cities because they couldn't care less about Jesus or the ministry that he was sent to accomplish. They had been so privileged to witness firsthand the very ministry of Jesus, and yet they treated it as if it was nothing. And let me just pause here to bring something out, because lest we look down on them and say, boy, I, I don't know how they could do that. Remember something. We are living in the United States of America. We are living in a time period of history where unlike the people of that day, we have the completed Word of God. We have the whole counsel of God. And in America, we have the freedom to be able to teach and to preach and to receive teaching of the Word of God. In America today, and, 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 and particularly in the day that we're living in, we have more access to learn the truth of God than any people in the world have ever had before. Listen, it's not just on paper, but now we've got it digitally. Now we can receive the truth of God in mass in ways that people have never been able to receive it before. Every Sunday we can come to church without the fear of being, uh, being persecuted simply for coming to corporately and publicly practice our faith. That is not true all around the world, but it is true here. We have been privileged. And yet as privileged as we are, we'll come to church, sit down, and what do we do? If you're playing with your phone right now, I'm talking to you, okay? <laughs> When's it going to be over? Oh, I hope he preaches short today. Well, you are out of luck, okay? That never happens around here. We wake up in the morning, there's our Bible, collecting dust. You don't know the last time you opened it. He said, I don't struggle with indifference. I wonder, if you have the very same spirit, with all the privilege, and all the access to the truth of God, and you couldn't care less. That was the response of this particular generation of 
uh, Jesus' day, and I will say that our generation today is worthy of the same reprimand. And so this disinterested generation, Jesus first gives them a word of woe. In verse number 11, or verse number 21, we already read it. Verse number 21 of Matthew chapter 11, I flipped in my Bible, and I'm not in the right place now. Matthew 11, verse 21, it says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe was a word of grief. It was a heavy term that Jesus used here. And he began to tell them their woeful condition. He compared three Jewish cities to three pagan Gentile cities. Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum. He compared to Tyre and Sidon in a place that perhaps you've heard of before called Sodom. Now, these three Gentile cities were notorious to the Jews, and Sodom still is even for us today as being a city that was very pagan and wickedly sinful. Then you had the three Jewish cities that had wonderful synagogues and Jesus walked their streets and they on the outside were very religious institutions. And Jesus says that it is the three Gentile cities who will be worthy of less judgment than the three Jewish cities because they had, the three Jewish cities had more opportunity to hear the truth of God and they did nothing with it. It's interesting, Jesus said that if I had done the same things in those other cities, they would have repented and they would have believed in me. But you haven't. The opportunities you've received to hear about Jesus Christ and you still are disinterested. You still have, have, got, have been in a place where you're not willing to listen to the truth of God that's a woeful condition to be in. And I want you to listen to me on this. God holds those who have more opportunity to a higher standard. You say, how do you know that? Well, not only from this text, but Luke chapter 12 and verse 48 says, For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall much be required. God holds those who have been given greater opportunity to a higher standard of judgment. So Jesus gives a word of woe, but he follows it up with a word of warning. Verses 22 and 24, Jesus essentially tells the people of these cities who had got to firsthand experience his ministry that they were more liable to greater judgment than even the most wicked cities in this world's history because they had had Christ among them and still chosen to reject him. And here's the application I want to bring out. The greater the privilege one has, the greater their punishment will be. What Jesus was teaching here is that there will be degrees of punishment in hell. Are you listening to me? There will be degrees of punishment in hell. And those of us who have had greater opportunity to hear the truth of God will be judged by a higher standard in the end. We look at the sinner's of Sodom. And we think, well, those are the worst kinds of people. They're going to be judged with the worst kind of judgment. Jesus looks at the religious, separated, conservative people of Capernaum and says, no, you will be held to the highest standard of judgment because you knew the truth and you still rejected it. It's a wake-up call for those of us who claim to be religious. Your religion will not save you. Only Jesus can save you. 
You say, well, I've lived a really conservative life and you know, I've never done this and I've never done that and I've always tried to do good by people. It will not save you. None of it. God is not fooled by outward pretense. He knows your heart. And if you've been given the truth and rejected the truth, if you've heard the truth every Sunday, you got maybe perhaps you were brought up in church by your parents. Listen to me. You know the truth in your heart, and yet you have still refused to accept it. You are held to a higher standard of judgment. I want you to look in your notes at Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse 29. It says, Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who has trodden under foot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that saith, Vengeance belongs unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. And then he says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I've got news for you. According to what Jesus teaches here, I believe hell will be hotter. Or at least harsher. For those who have been given the truth and treated it as if it was nothing. And did nothing with it. What are you going to do with Jesus? Disdain Him? Disregard Him? Treat him with apathy. The final choice you can make is to depend on Jesus. You say, what's well, obvious, Pastor? That's the choice we should make. It should be obvious. But it isn't for everyone. And perhaps it isn't for you. At this point, Jesus paused to praise God. And I want you to see what he said in verse 25. He said, at that time... Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. Jesus began to indicate here that a person who is self-sufficient cannot be saved. Only a person who is Savior-dependent can be saved. The illustration he uses is of a babe. God has hidden the truth of salvation from people who think they can find it in and of themselves. And he reveals it to people who can humbly come like a baby who can do nothing for himself. And says, Lord, here I am. I cannot save myself. I cast myself upon you. Save my sinful soul. It is to them the mystery of salvation is revealed. It takes a childlike faith to come to Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. We must come to God with humility and utter dependence or we will not come to God at all. And so this is what Jesus begins to tell us here is essentially a comparison between those who rely on themselves and those who rely on God. The Bible tells us that God has concealed the riches of His truth from those who think they can find it of themselves and revealed it to those who will come to Him depending on Him to reveal it to them. 
Verse number 26, it goes on to say this, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Why does God choose to work this way? Well, in summary, God knows this is the best way because it is the only way wherein he gets all the glory. Listen, if you're smart enough or you're good enough to work your own way to God, to work your own way to heaven, you don't need God. When you realize you'll never be smart enough, you'll never be good enough, you can never do it on your own. You cast yourself on the Lord, guess who gets all the credit? God does. And so God is only interested in accepting people who realize they cannot do it themselves and who cast themselves upon Him and Him alone to be their Savior. And I'll say God's way is always the best way. You don't have to understand it to agree with it. God has chosen to work this way. And listen, it doesn't matter what you think about it. What matters is what the Bible says. For so it seemed good or acceptable or pleasing in His sight to work in saving people this way. And I want you to see the final thing the Bible tells us here in verse 27. Because Jesus, in His final words in verse 27, makes clear that the only way to know God is through Him. Verse 27. He says, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knows the Son but the Father, and uh, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. At the heart of the gospel is the fact that Jesus is God, and that Jesus is the only way to God. I'll say it again. At the heart of the gospel is the fact that Jesus is God, and that Jesus is the only way to God. I want you to look at your Bibles down at, uh, down at your notes, I should say, at John chapter 1, verse 18. It says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath, what? Declared, declared Him. Jesus has declared God to us. The Greek word used there is uh, exegeomai. It's a word that we get our English word uh, uh, exegesis from. The breaking down and the revealing of a truth. And what the Bible is declaring to us here is that Jesus is the very exegesis of God. He is the very one that reveals to us in certain terms who God actually is. And I'll tell you why this is important. You cannot possibly hope to know God or go to God when you pass out of this life if you do not know Jesus. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5 says there is one God and there is only one mediator between God and man and that is Christ Jesus, our Savior. He's the only way. He's always been the only way. I hear sometimes hear people say, well, preacher, I believe that there are many ways to God. I believe that if you worship Muhammad or if you worship Buddha or if you worship something... You worship creation. All roads lead to God. And I have authority today to tell you that's not what God said. God said there's one way. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved but by Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It'll always only be Jesus. If you're trying to find salvation, if you're trying to find purpose, if you're trying to find significance, choosing any other way 
You will not like where it leads. Because Jesus says to know God is to know me. And to know me is to know God. And then he says at the end of the verse, and take special note of this in verse 27, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. The only way you can come to know God is if Jesus makes the truth of God known to you and you accept it by faith. Now, sometimes I've heard people read this verse and say a lot of interesting things. Does Jesus only make this truth known to certain people? Well, the next verse answers the question. Look at verse 28. Read the first sentence out loud. Let's read it. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And you stop right there. Come unto me, how many? All. All. The point is, if you've been rejecting Jesus, if you've been living a life disinterested in the things of Jesus, but God has spoken to your heart today, it doesn't matter who you are. You can come to Jesus today. And you can be saved. I'm so thankful that Jesus receives all sinful men. And if you have come to the end of yourself, you have run out of excuses for why you shouldn't be a Christian perhaps. As the Spirit of God has been drawing you, I hope that you'll come today and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Listen, I told you at the beginning, every person will make a choice on what they'll do with the truth of Jesus before they leave this life. What is your choice going to be? It was 24 years ago today. I made the choice to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. On October 15th of 1999. I never regretted it. I know I've made my choice. I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. My question for you is have you made your choice? Because if you haven't, I hope you'll come now to do it. And if you have chosen to trust Christ, perhaps you've drifted into that place of indifference where you've stopped caring about the things of God. Christian, can I challenge you to get your heart right with the Lord before you go into another week of life? Let's get serious about the things of God.